tell you uh, quickly about someone that I know. I want to introduce you to someone. You may already know that, but you may not. Uh, this, it's a man. He's 63 years old. He's about six feet tall, so he's about my height. Uh, he's been married for about 32 years and has four children. Um, he has a couple of hobbies. He likes photography, which is a pretty cool hobby. Uh, he also collects, this is neat, he collects like vintage typewriters. So he's got a pretty good, pretty cool collection uh, of these typewriters. Uh, as far as earning a living, he's involved in the arts, I guess you would say. Um, and he's actually been in a few movies, which is kind of cool, uh, this guy that I know. Um, he's, you may have heard of some of these. Uh, Big, uh, Saving Private Ryan, you heard of that one? That's a pretty famous movie. He's actually done some voiceover work for a series of films called Toy Story. I don't know if you've heard of those or not. Um, anyway, so this guy that I know, you might know him. His name is Tom Hanks. I've just described to you Tom Hanks. What I've actually done is I've shown the difference between knowing about someone and knowing someone. There's a difference. Right? I don't know Tom Hanks at all. He doesn't know me at all. I looked up his information in about two minutes on the internet and found out all this information about him. Some of it is a little bit personal, but it's not really super deep. But I know nothing. I know a lot about him, but I don't know him at all. It's a very important distinction to make. There's a difference between knowing about someone and actually knowing someone. And for thousands of years, people have tried to know and understand God. And so with that pursuit have come a lot of different ideas about who God is, or who he might be, or what he does. A lot of different ideologies have popped up. A lot of different people groups even gather around certain beliefs about God. All sorts of religions try to understand who God is. Who is he? What does he do? And so all these different philosophies have surfaced over the millennia, all of these belief systems have emerged over thousands of years in a pursuit to try to know and understand God. Not even so much knowing about him, that's what a lot of, I think, this studying about him is, but there is many of these groups an effort to really get to know him. So then a couple thousand years ago, this guy named Jesus, maybe you've heard of him too, a little more famous even than Tom Hanks, if you can believe that, uh, he comes along, and here's what he says. He says, hey guys, I know everything about God, because I am God. Pretty lofty claim that this guy in the desert makes, right? This, he came from nowhere, he's a nobody, but he's, he's making these pretty fantastic claims. I know God. You've been searching for him, you've been trying to find him. I know him. I know him well, because I am him. And so he comes along with this sort of information, and from that come a lot of opinions about who Jesus is, a lot of beliefs, a lot of belief systems about who he is, a lot of, there's historical things about him that have been written. There have been philosophical ideas that have been written regarding him and his teachings. There's obviously a lot of theological, a lot of religious tradition that comes from Jesus who makes this claim that he knows God, and we can know God better by knowing him. So actually, there's been more books written about Jesus than any other person who's ever lived. And it's not really even close. I think Abraham Lincoln's second, and it's like way, way, way a second, distant second. So a lot has been said, a lot has been written, a lot has been thought, a lot has been taught about Jesus. But if we're going to go from knowing about someone to actually knowing someone, 
the, the major step, the first step, the first key to doing that is to hear about them from themselves. Hear their own story. Hear their own experiences. If we want to know how to learn someone and how they, what makes them tick, what makes them go, what, what's their thing in life, what's their mission in life, it's going to help to not read about it, but to hear it from themselves, from their own mouth. So that's what we're going to do for the next several weeks leading up to Easter. Is we're going to look at a series of seven statements that are called I Am Statements. So the series that we're in leading up to Easter is called I Am. So John, who we've talked about a lot this year already, John's getting a lot of publicity here at First Century, okay? We talked about Revelation for six weeks. We're going to talk about these statements for six weeks. He's getting a lot of play, all right? So John, who was a disciple of Jesus, wrote a biography about Jesus, right? The Gospel of John. These seven I Am statements are all found in the Gospel of John, his biography, his firsthand eyewitness account of Jesus. So this guy who was with Jesus day in, day out would probably know him fairly well. And so what he does, he does record things that Jesus did and things that he said, but really what's key here for our time the next few weeks is he, look, he lists these seven statements where Jesus describes for us who he truly is. It helps us to know him, hopefully quite a bit better, as we examine these statements. And so from now through Easter, we're going to look at these seven I Am statements. So we're going to start today with the second one that's listed in John's Gospel, and it's just one, one verse that starts this dialogue that we're going to study for a few minutes today. It's John chapter 8 is where we're going to be, and this statement is found in verse number 12. Here's what it says. Jesus spoke to the people once more, there's a crowd gathered, and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So today's I am statement from Jesus is, I am the light of the world. Have you ever uh, made a statement before that just seemed very innocent, but it started a very long conversation? Or you said something that was completely innocent, just made a statement or observation, and basically a fist fight breaks out. I mean, you're like, well, I didn't, I didn't mean for that to happen. I'm just making an observation, especially in our political climate. You better know your audience really well before you start talking politics, or there will be fistfights that will break out, okay? Uh, potentially. I'm not, I'm not inciting violence here, all right? So YouTube, don't censor me, okay? I'm just saying, that's just the climate that we live in. It's something that seems very innocent, very straightforward, very honest, very simple, starts this huge conversation slash discussion slash argument. Well, that's what Jesus does here. He makes this statement, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you'll have the light that leads to life. So after this is a very long conversation that I'm going to try to get nailed down here in about 60 seconds or so. So in the crowd are a bunch of religious people, a bunch of faithful Jewish people, some high-ranking religious leaders, and they hear this and it starts this dialogue. So Jesus is making this claim, this statement about himself. I am this. So the religious people in the crowd say, no, 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 you can't say that. You can't make that claim. Well, what we don't realize in the text here, what they, what they sort of hint at, what we need to know historically, culturally, is they're taking this as like a, a fact about himself, as if he were in a courtroom under oath. So in this culture, you can't just have one person. You have to have testimony corroborated by another witness. So they're saying, you can't just say whatever you want about yourself and make it like the truth, period. You've got to have somebody else to say, yep, he is who he says he is, or yep, that happened the way he said it happened. 
So then Jesus' response just kind of inflames the situation a little bit. He says, oh, my father is the second witness in this. He'll back me up. He's got my back. And he keeps talking about his father, his father, his father. And so the people who are uber-religious here, they're like, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know who your daddy is. But our father is Abraham. He had many sons. Many sons had, they don't really sing the song, but they, you know the idea. So they're like, Abraham's art, they get really religious, they get really uptight, they get defensive. Like, I don't know what you're talking about, your dad, whoever your stepdad must be, our father, and who's he's supposed to be yours, is Abraham, the father of our nation. And they have this back and forth a little bit, and then as you read a few verses down, Jesus continues to stoke the flames here, nearly inciting a riot, okay, here's what he says. He says, hey... You, you can say whatever you want. You can say your dad is whoever you want. I'm going to tell you what. Based on what I'm seeing from you guys, your father is Satan. Jesus, what are you doing, bro? Like, calm down. Like, just know when to quit. Why would you go there? But he goes there. And he says, specifically, because you keep trying to kill me, that's like the number one signal. Boop, boop, boop. Abraham is not your father, Right? Uh, Satan is your father. And of course, they don't like that, and they, they don't accept that or appreciate that sentiment whatsoever, and I can understand uh, that to a certain degree, but it's true. So then Jesus goes on, and he says, hey, since you guys love Abraham so much, let me tell you something about Abraham. I know him really well. Let me tell you how well I know him. I know for a fact that Abraham looked forward to my coming, and he looked on it, and he rejoiced when he thought about what was before him, what he was anticipating in the future is right in front of you people. And so they don't know what to do with that. They're like, they, they call him demon-possessed. <laughs> they, they say, you are literally full of the devil. You could not be a man of God. You could not be a faithful teacher of the law and talk the way that you're talking. You cannot claim to know Abraham. They even say, what do you mean? You're, you're a young man. How can you say you know Abraham or you know what he wanted or what he looked toward or you're the fulfillment? Like, how do you know that? You aren't with him. You're not ancient. You're not eternal. And so Jesus, in response, doubles down here, and it gets really hot and heavy. So let's read the end of this dialogue, John 8, 58 and 59. So after they say, you don't know Abraham. How do you know Abraham? Here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Verse 59, at that point, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus was hidden from them and left the temple. So the people are clearly fed up with Jesus. They are clearly offended to the point of they are going to literally stone him to death. Now you would say, are they just offended at his poor grammar? Before Abraham was, I am. What kind of statement is that? Any English majors in here? That does not make any sense at all. Why would you talk like that? But they're, 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 at the core, their offense is something that we don't really see here in English. We have to go back to the original language, both of, all three of them from the Bible, to really see why they're so up in arms by what he's saying. Okay? So, in Greek... Jesus is saying this statement, and we've got here for you in Greek, this statement, I am, that we're focusing this entire series on in Greek. We're going to get nerdy for just a second, but it's important, so we've got to go there, okay? Uh, this term is ego eimi. Ego eimi is, is that in Greek. Now, the eimi part is fine. That People would just say, I am this, or they describe themselves. When you add the ego to this, lego my ego, okay, right? So when you put these two together, what really, if you were translated word for word, right? It's Jesus is saying, 
I, I am. He's saying I, I am. Okay, so that's important. And you would say, okay, so I don't want to stone Jesus for that. What's the big deal? Again, let's go back because the state, this statement in the exact way that's used here by Jesus has been used before in a very specific setting by a very specific person. Go back to Exodus chapter 3. Moses, who was raised as Pharaoh's grandson, has fled Egypt. He's living in the desert as a shepherd by himself. While he's out with his sheep one day, he sees this weird light up in the distance. He goes up on this mountain and he sees there is what we call the burning bush, right? It's a bush that is on fire but is not being consumed. So that's weird enough, but then it gets even weirder because Moses starts hearing voices in his head. He hears really God speaking to him from this burning bush. And that, that to me is just going to be like a weird, like a weird, weird thing to have to deal with. But he's there. It's just, he, I don't know what he's thinking, but he just decides I'm going to dialogue with this bush and we're just going to talk to each other. And so God, through the burning bush, tells him, hey Moses, my people have been enslaved in Egypt. You know this. You lived there for a long time. You, you, know what's, you know what the deal is. And Moses is like, yeah, what's new? He's like, here's what's new, Mo. You're going to deliver them. I'm calling you, Moses, to deliver my people from bondage, from slavery. And of course, Moses is going to have some questions. He's not going to be down with that plan right off the bat. He's going to need some specifics on the mission. And so he dialogued with God back and forth. Well, what about this? And God answers his question. Well, God, what about that? And God answers that question. And God, well, what if, what if this happens? And God says, well, then you'll do this. And back and forth they go. Finally, Moses has one more question. Basically, who are you? Like, if I go to these people and say, this bush that was on fire talked to me, and I'm supposed to, they're going to look at me like I'm crazy, and rightfully so. What's the proof here? God, if you're really in there, what's the proof that it really is you talking to me, commissioning me to do this? How are they ever going to believe this ever happened? And so here's what happens. Exodus 3, verse 13. Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? It's like a secret password kind of thing. Then what should I tell them? Here's what God said. God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent you. Now, this was spoken slash written in Hebrew, the language of the ancient people of Israel. But when you take that same phrase in Hebrew, translate it to Greek, guess what you get? Ego eimi, the same exact phrase that Jesus uses in John chapter 8. So, the, the top-shelf offense here of the people listening to Jesus is he's using, basically, you know, if he had a sticker, hello, my name is, he's going to put God in the white space there. That's what he's doing here. He's using this term on purpose, for a reason, and it gets under their skin because they see this as blasphemy. Well, you can't claim to be God. You're just a mere human. And we don't even like you that much. We wouldn't even choose you to be the guy that you say you are. And not in a million years would we say, yeah, he's the guy. Yeah, God's called him. God's anointed him. He actually is God, by the way. Now, they would never do that. So they become offended by his blasphemy. Well, you can't say that. You can't use that kind of language. And he knew what he was doing, right? He's Jesus, he's a pretty smart guy. He knows, he knows who his audience is. He knows what the message he needs to send is. He is claiming to be divine. What's funny is, when you read that in English, you don't really get that. 
right? When you, when you don't know maybe the cultural background or the language of you, are like, I don't understand how they go, he's saying this, it sounds totally fine, and then they want to stone him 45 verses later? What's the deal? And there are some, interestingly, who would claim, well, Jesus never even claimed to be divine. Sure, sure he did. He did it at least seven times in the book of John. Every time, every time he says, I am, in all of these statements, he is using this phrase. On purpose, for a reason, to send a message. I'm not just the light of the world. That's, see, that's not the issue. When he said that at first, it wasn't a big deal. Then when they understand what he's really saying, that's when the issues come. He's not just saying, I'm the light of the world. He's saying, I am that. I also happen to be the one who called light into existence. Right? And that's where their offense comes from. But here's the other thing that I find interesting. When you go down one level deeper, the offense is much more understandable to us than maybe that one is. The other part of the offense here is that what Jesus is doing by being the light is he is exposing those religious people in the audience. He's exposing their hard hearts. He's exposing their wickedness. He's exposing their sinfulness. And that really is what gets them going. And can I just tell you, that's the exact same reason 2,000 years later that Jesus still offends so many people. It is, right? Because here's the thing. A lot of philosophies that are not Christian will adopt certain teachings from Jesus. The peace and love thing, nobody has a problem with that. I can drive with that peace and love and harmony, get along, treat your neighbor right. That's great. No problem there. Even things like his miracles that he performed, even those that would not that would say those didn't really happen, they're not offended by them. They don't say, oh, I can't believe that someone would claim to do that. How dare? We, we don't have an issue with that. The issue that so many people have with Jesus is the same reason this audience was offended in John 8. Because he dares to call me a sinner. That's what gets us going. That's what sticks in our crawl. That's what makes us uncomfortable. That's what makes us uneasy. Well, now I can make my own decisions. I don't need this ancient dude who lived in the Middle East to tell me how to run my life. Ooh, we get defensive right away, don't we? I mean, you probably had conversations with people. You've probably been there yourself. I don't, I don't like being called a sinner. I don't, I don't want to wear that label. I don't want Jesus to point the finger and say, oh, you're, you have to get your life right. Who is he to tell me that? Like, I don't care who he says he is. He has no jurisdiction over my life here and now in 21st century Western culture America. It's the same reason that we sometimes can get offended today. Let's go back, though, to his claim for a second. Let me ask you this question. What if our offense is because we focus on the wrong part of this message? What if we are getting hung up and focused on really the secondary part of what he's saying? Let's read this verse again, John 8, 12, and see if we can look at it uh, in a different light, so to speak. No pun intended there. John 8, verse 12, one more time. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. That's the same phrase there, ego eimi, all right? I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. So what we focus on, and it is true, it's accurate, he is exposing sin, right? He is exposing sinfulness, yes, but he's doing it for a purpose, a specific purpose purpose. So what he's saying here is don't be offended by the light. 
Now, usually we don't want to say walk toward the light, but in this case, walk toward the light, okay? Because it's the light that leads to life. The light is there to help. The light is there to assist you. The light is there to guide you as you walk this path of life. As you journey the treacherous path of life, the light is there to guide and assist and aid in that effort. So John records this here, and then in one of his letters, 1 John, he kind of fleshed this out just a little bit. So let's look at this, 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. John kind of takes this idea and does, it, does this to it. Here's what he says. God is what? Light. Okay, cool. God is, you're still with me. I put you to sleep yet, at least two of you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Hallelujah. So do you ever, in the middle of the night, have to get up and go to the bathroom? Isn't that the worst? And so what, if you're like me, and you, you probably are, you know, we try, to, we try to get from here to there without turning the lights on. But what inevitably will happen once in a while is, I'll forget that our laundry basket is at the end of our bed. So when I try to turn the corner, boom, I run my foot into it and it doesn't feel good. And it kind of jolts me in my system. Or you stub your toe on something. Or, you know, maybe you have to get up to get like a midnight snack and it's late. You know, okay, if I just get something on my stomach, I can fall asleep. Maybe you have to go up a couple steps to get into your kitchen and you end up tripping on the step, you know, because you didn't turn on the light. Or if you have little kids and they'll pick up after themselves, you step on Legos that are of the devil, right? Legos at midnight in the dark are evil. Cast them out in Jesus' name, you know? So we do that all the time. Maybe almost every night you have this experience that is painful and terrible and preventable because what can prevent that from happening? Switch the light on. However, understandably, we don't do that because it's going to wake up our system. If I turn the light on to go to the bathroom for 30 seconds, that's going to take me three hours to fall back asleep, right? Is anybody else with me? You know what I'm talking about? That's why we don't. Because it's going to wake me up and get me going. I'll never relax. By the time I fall back asleep, the alarm is going off. And I'm just wasting my entire night because I have a small bladder or a full bladder, that sort of thing, okay? So here's what we're saying, though. Spiritually... Jesus wants us to always keep the lights on so that I don't have to step on Legos spiritually, okay? So I don't have to keep stubbing my toe on the same corner in the same... It's been there for my entire life. It's been there all along. I'm just walking in darkness. I don't see it. It's not visible. I'm not aware of my surroundings like I want to be and should be, and so I keep hitting my toe on stuff. I keep tripping upstairs. I keep falling over, whatever it is. So spiritually, Jesus is the light so that we can be more aware. Now, the reason that we're so offended by this statement is because we see it in, in a negative way, right? We see the whole thing of, well, I'm a sinner, and I'm terrible, and I feel guilty, and I feel bad, and I don't want to feel that way, and so I just feel bad, I reject this all together. Or I, or I push Jesus aside in those moments where I know he's trying to get my attention. I know he's trying to flip the... I'm like, no, Jesus, get your hand away from that light switch right now, you know? I don't want to be spiritually well. I, I want to be content. I'm okay. It doesn't hurt that bad. And you're like, 
toenails, uh, spirit, I'm spiritually here, it's like falling off and bleeding everywhere. You're suffering, and you're confused, and you're angry, and you still feel guilty all the time with no way to unfeel guilty, okay? So we're like, Jesus, I don't want the light. I'm, it makes me offended. You would even say I need the light. I can handle things myself. I'm a big boy, Jesus. I'm a big girl, Jesus. I can handle my life myself. But we can't. And Jesus knows this. So again, the reason that he's the light is not so you can feel guilty or bad, right? The point of Jesus is so you can have a clearer path. Amen. So the obstacles that are in your way, there are obstacles in your way from getting here to there, they're there. They're different for you than they are for me. Some are big, some are small. Some will poke through your foot like a Lego and you will then say words that you then have to later feel bad that you said, you know, it's that sort of thing. So, but if we live in the light, John says if we walk in the light, we have a clearer path. We have better vision. What's interesting is where this phrase falls scripturally. So this starts at John chapter 8, verse 12. If you look at the story right before this statement, historically, John 8, 1 through 11, is this story of a woman, a sinful woman, who is caught in the act of adultery by these religious leaders who are in the same crowd in verse 12. Okay? So, somehow they know this is going on. They pull her out of the house into the street. They're going to stone her to death because the law says to. And a bonus happens to be for them that Jesus is there. So not only can they stone this sinful woman, they can back Jesus into a corner. He's either going to approve what we're about to do and go against everything he stands for, or he's going to go against the law, and then we can probably stone him afterward just for fun. If we want seconds, he's there, right, right for the killing. So then they say, Jesus, what are we supposed to do here? We're, the law says to stone her. And so Jesus makes the famous statement, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. What a statement. Like, Jesus seems like on a different level here, you know? He knows exactly how to phrase it. Now he's not in the corner. They're in the corner. The corners have now swapped. And so now they can't stone the woman. They can't do that. How are they going to look? They're going to say, I'm without sin because I'm stoning this woman for her sin. And so then they all leave. And, of course, Jesus says, okay, woman, uh, where are your accusers? And she says, well, they're all gone. He says, well, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Or a different translation is go and lead this life of sin. So Jesus, what he does here, before he claims he's the light of the world, before he says it out loud, he shows it to be true. Because what he does is he sheds light on this situation. So the, for the woman, here's, what he, here's the thing. The light is about exposing our own brokenness, and our own sinfulness. It is. Because what does he say? He doesn't say that she's without sin. Right? He says, go and sin no more. He says, Leave, you're living a life of sin. Go a different direction. Let me shed light on your path to make it easier for you to find the light, the light that leads to life. So he's giving her this opportunity to course correct. He's not guilting her. She's already ashamed, right? She's already been caught in the act, probably nearly naked in the middle of the street, ready to be stoned. He doesn't need to pile on the shame. She's already feeling enough guilt, enough shame, enough rejection. She's got enough piled on for more than one person. He doesn't add to that. So the light shining on that doesn't make her feel guilty or bad or sinful, but it exposes that. But then it says, hey, there's a better way to do this. Like there's a, there's a way that leads to life. I can show you how to get there. I can be the light that shines on your path for you to keep this from happening again and again. 
And he does it, he, he, so he exposes the sinfulness of these religious leaders, first of all, their wickedness and their evil hearts. And then he just goes out and starts a fight with them, basically, and says, hey, you sons of Satan, see what you've done here? This is not what Abraham would have done, guys. And they have this long dialogue. So Jesus shows he's the light of the world, and then he says it to this crowd. So he shines the light by protecting this woman, by loving her, by forgiving her, and showing her there's a, a new path, there's a different way you can live life. The key here in 1 John that we just read, he says if we walk in the light. So this light from Jesus is not like a bright glass in case of emergency kind of thing. Like when I feel bad enough, I'll run back to the light to see how sinful I am. Or when I know, when I've been exposed, oh no, it's too late now, what do I do, you know? It's like, no, if we walk in it, then we can have fellowship with other people in the light. And the light just grows and becomes clearer and better more amazing, and Jesus can then show us, hey, there is a, there's a way here. Like, I know the way. We'll talk about that next week. He is the way. Um, but so we're going we're gonna to follow this light that leads to life. We're going to follow the light that leads to life. It will help us to make better decisions on a regular basis. It will help us maybe to think before we speak. Anybody else like me maybe needs some more of that light on my tongue sometimes? That walking in that light helps us to choose wisely. When you're faced with a thing, man, it's maybe a life or death situation, or it's like a, a crucial thing. I mean, if that light's shining, it can help guide you in the right direction. The light of Jesus can help us to avoid certain mistakes. If we're walking in the light, we can see those mistakes when they've been made, and then course correct way easier. It's going to be easier if I have to go like from like this path to that path, and if I go all the way, I'm walking this way, but I need to, it's way easier to go like turn five degrees than 180 degrees. So if I'm walking in the light, as he is in the light, it's going to help me to stay a little bit closer to the path that he has laid out for me. Now, we're not going to do it perfectly. We'll get there in a second. But it makes it a lot easier and a lot better for us to do that. So the, the key, the challenge is to not choose to wander aimlessly in darkness. But allow Jesus to flip that light switch on. To follow, so you can follow the, the light that leads to life. But then Jesus does something interesting as we close. In, so in John, he says, I am the light of the world. But then in Matthew, he takes this idea and turns it on its head. It's interesting. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. Jesus says this to, to his disciples, his followers. He says, you are the light of the world. Now I'm really confused, Jesus. Are you the light of the world? Or are we the light of the world? He says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. No, I'm going to let it shine. All the kids' church songs are coming out today, so it's cool. Amen. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus says, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So, what Jesus says here is, because I am the light, if you're walking in the light, you become your own little light. Yeah. I, I think of it in terms of, we're like solar panels, okay? We're not the light, okay? We absorb the light, the source, and then we can give light to things that are around us and others that are around us. Amen. So if, I, if we had the budget, 
I like to use props and give away things for you to take home to remember my messages. I would have bought a whole thing of solar panels for you to take one, each of you to take one home. We just don't have that kind of budget at this church right now, okay? So you're just going to have to imagine this with me. Whenever you see a solar panel, think, that's me. I'm not the light, but I absorb the light. I walk in the light, and then my path is shining brightly, and others around me can see the effects of that light in and through my life as well. The negative, though, with this idea is we can sometimes feel a lot of pressure with this. I'm the light of the world. Ooh, I better never make a mistake. Oh, I better never say the wrong thing. I better never have an off day. Man, I don't even know if it's worth it. That's a lot of pressure. I, I'm out. Jesus, I can't measure up. I can't, nope, I, I can't, I'm not going to do it. I refuse because I don't want to, I don't want to do anything that would cause you harm or cause you to be disappointed. We put so much pressure here, but again, we're not the source of the light, okay? It's infused in us and then we do the best we can with what limits we have to walk in that path and shine it for others around us. So don't put that pressure on yourself. Oh, I, I'm the light now. Oh, man, I just had this revelation. I, oh, I, I've got to be perfect. Oh, no, no, put that aside. That's not what he's saying here. He's not claiming, oh, you're going to be perfect now. He's never going to claim it. That's why we need the light, okay? That's why we're not the source, because we're an imperfect vessel, an imperfect source. But he does say that your, your life in the light of Christ can be genuine. So despite your weaknesses that are there, Despite your flaws that we all have, despite shortcomings, despite off days, despite the fact that I still do wrestle with my own sinfulness, as the light is shining and helping me to walk the path that, I, that, that he wants me to walk, it helps others to see their faith is real, it's genuine, they're not fake, they're not claiming perfection, they're not trying to be perfect, right? They're just trying to walk in the light as he is in the light. So we can then inspire others to join us on this journey. We can, through our life in the light, encourage others. There's a better path for you to take. I can't get you there, but I'm walking in the same light you can walk in from the one who can get you there. That's where your life in Christ is so important. That's where your, your genuine love for him, your genuine life walking in his light is so key. Because it will inspire others. You mean I don't have to be perfect? Nope. I mean, I don't have to live this impossible standard? Nope. Nope. You're, again, we're not the source of the light. We are a conduit that helps others to find this light. Jesus is the light. If we're walking with him, he says we're walking in the light that leads to life. But then as we close, the inverse is also true. So if you're living your life in darkness, that's the path we don't want to go down. It's going, there's going to be so many bumps in the road for you. So many stubbed toes for you. So many Legos to step on. Life is a minefield full of Legos. If we're walking in darkness, we're going to find ourselves tripped up, confused, frustrated, angry, bitter, defeated all the time. If, however, we allow the light of Jesus to shine in our hearts, to expose those things, to help us maybe clear the path a little bit every once in a while... Help us to pull out, whoo, that was a sharp one, you know? Help us to put the band-aid on the wounds. That's what he did for this woman in John 8. He healed her in that moment. He said, there's a better path here. Go this way. That's what Jesus does. That's what the light is all about. Not about saying you're terrible and you're sinful. Now, that's true, okay? But that's not the point. Jesus is not a hammer to hammer you down, okay? He's a pry bar to kind of pull you up out of that and say, hey, there's a better way here. 
using a lot of tool analogies. I've been working out in the lobby this week, so I feel manly, you know. I've been using tools, building stuff, you know. So I'm, I'm in the zone. So anyway, Jesus is the light. Don't be afraid of the light. Don't be scared of the light. Don't be offended by the light. Don't resist the light. Don't say, nope, turn that off, please. I'm happy to, oh, there it is again, you know. That's what happens. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, it just makes everything so much clearer, so much brighter, so much better. It is the light that truly leads to life.